Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Part and parcel the whole genie gig. Phenomenal cosmic powers! The world happens under trial by fire, and only the greatest warriors and their deadliest enemies emerged from the flames. That's it. Screw you and your college flunkies. I've had enough of this from you and from everyone else. I know what you guys are trying to do. Break me down, drive me out of the force. Well, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than a lame prank like this to get Curtis Mooney to throw in his badge. So fuck you. Over. Did you miss me? gentlemen and welcome back to another episode of inside movies galore i am one of your hosts but uh uh today we're gonna continue our musical march themed uh reservoir of films uh and uh brandon why don't you tell us a little bit about how destitute this film we're gonna talk about is so, we are continuing our discussion of Mad Max with the film Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the 1985 classic by George Miller and George Ogilvy. So, of course, starring Mel Gibson. This is an interesting film that takes place... 
Hello? Hello? Yeah, what the hell? <sighs> There's always a problem. You just get abducted by fucking aliens? Good morning. Uh, Am I not, uh... You were speaking? You could have for a minute. Yeah. That's strange. Okay, well, can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear you now? Okay, well, well, this is, again, the Mad Max Beyond uh, Thunderdome. And uh, this particular film takes place uh, roughly 15 years after uh, the second film, Road Warrior, uh, with Mad Max, again, the rogue wandering the deserts and the wastelands, this time after a nuclear holocaust has destroyed civilization. He comes upon, after getting stuff stolen from him, he comes upon a strange civilization where they have found their own brand of justice. Alright, let's, let's, let's be real here. He gets dive-bombed off of his camel cart, which is <laughs> telling him, like, did he become that dude from the beginning of Aladdin? Where he's like, it also does fries. Like, um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. But I'd like to think that that's what he was doing for a while with his fly swatter that he holds on to oh, for gosh. an extremely long period in the film. Mo, so, um, um, is this your first time watching this film? <laughs> no, dude. I think for me and you, man, uh, Thunderdome was like our childhood flick. You know, like oh, this was just the movie that I watched a ton as a little kid. I think it was probably the first Mad Max movie that I saw, and so I just watched it a lot at my uncle's house. And then eventually, he was like, "Yeah, there's other ones," and he showed me, you know, a couple years later, Road Warrior and Mad Max, and I thought they. Thought Road Warrior was cool. Thought Mad Max pretty much sucked all the dick in the world, and just ignored them mostly until high school. And I started watching Road Warrior a lot. But uh, Thunderdome is like a childhood classic for me. It's it's definitely my go-to movie for Mad Max. You know, and obviously based on the fact that you suggested it, I would assume it's yours too. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, Dave, uh, was this your first time? Um, I guess you would call this, in a sense, my first time, or seeing it entirely. Because, uh, once again, I watched m many of these, like, in pieces on television while they were on TNT or something like that. And it's just, it, this is the first time I've watched it in its entirety. Uh, so, um... It, I guess, in a sense, it was like seeing it anew. So, um, maybe piecing it together was kind of an interesting perspective. I, I thought it was kind of like a... <laughs> uh, it, was, it was different uh, for a Mad Max mo uh, movie, that, uh, that's for sure. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, it's as different as the other t uh, two. And to me... It kind of had a Peter Pan kind of a vibe going on for a moment, you know? Yeah, it felt kind of like Hook, didn't it? used <laughs> 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 to right. sometimes, right? In fact, I almost think that Hook... Uh, Hook came after this, right? Yes. So, I almost think that Hook kind of took that moment in Mad Max and just built on it for the Lost Boys scene. <laughs> well, I mean, you could argue the Lost Boys existed well before Mad Max. So, yeah. Uh, 
True. Maybe they just let it influence their style. That's what <laughs> with it. Um, what you didn't know is that Miller actually was, this is not his idea, he originally found ancient texts talking about a lone road warrior <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> what? Yeah, the same text that led William Golding to write Lord of the Flies. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Jake. Oh, okay. Actually, he has started the flies. What's that? Is this um, your first time watching Jake? I cannot swear to it, but I okay. think it was. I have. I think it's very likely I saw bits and pieces when I was much younger, but I have no recollection of them. Uh, it was basically a first time watch, and. I know I played the, I know I played the soundtrack for you. <laughs> oh, probably, but I don't mean that doesn't mean much. Um, I probably heard the songs a couple of times, but that doesn't really mean much. Yeah, um, I have like an uncle that would blast this shit to wake us up when we were like eighties music in general <laughs> to wake us up when we were like sleeping over at his house. And ironically, it's the same fucking uncle that would always show me this shit. Yeah. yeah. So. But it, um, I my first impression was that it was I liked it. Um, honestly, you know, like I think I said in our pre our previous discussion on on these movies, uh, I think you said, uh, Brandon, that you thought the uh, Fury Road was almost a parody of the series. I almost felt more that Thunderdome got yeah. a little bit into that territory. Um, it's definitely a different vibe. Crazier. And part of that is because I know George Miller was not the sole director here. Um, so that was a well, big part of it. Turns out uh, that Byron, I forget right. his last name, but the longtime producer of the series had died right. location scouting for yes. Thunderdome. You know? So he'd been with them the previous two movies and... Mm -hmm. This dude died, and like he was apparently a good friend of the director, so that's why he brought in a friend that he could trust to help him co-direct it, because he knew that he couldn't yeah. do it while he was like mourning and shit. So basically, Miller handled the action scenes, and George Ogilvy did the rest of it. Um, but Miller had come up with the idea of a sort of Lord of the Flies influence thing, and someone else said, "Oh, you should put Max in there as the one that." rescues them and that so that's where that all came into be I guess I, guess I definitely got a Lord uh, um, 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 uh, Lost Boys vibe from much of that scene yeah. I think Hook was kind of in my mind a little bit yeah, there was huge criticism of that I guess at the time yeah. too because yeah. like their shit felt too derivative of the right. Lost Boys or something like that right something like that but yeah, overall what year did this come out? Uh, 85. 87? 85? Fucking, there you go. Um, the cargo cult idea, though, I don't think... It, like, honestly, I became aware of the idea of cargo cults right now, looking this up to fucking... Well, like, not right now, but like, in the last couple of weeks. talking about them a lot in philosophy. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's the thing, like, okay, as a casual person that's not studying philosophy... I, I heard about, like, the cults, or, like, the tribes that worship, like, some random British person. 
you know? Like, I had heard about that shit, but I didn't understand that it was, like, an actual thing that happens, like, fairly frequently, you know? Uh, so the idea of a cargo cult is what really drove me in this viewing of this when I was, like, like watching it, obviously, and looking it up. Um, and that's totally what those kids are. They think there's going to be, like, some captain that comes from nowhere to spirit them away to this guy captain captain Walker. <laughs> it's wild i'm sure we'll get to that but i thought that was pretty crazy captain walker of the wiki way <laughs> so uh dustin is this your first time seeing this uh i'd seen it a couple i'd seen it once before uh when i first kind of got into mad max um uh, I didn't actually know what Mad Max was for a long time, so I just kind of threw it in with the horror movies. <laughs> and I kind of refer to this as, like, the crazy one, because the Mad Max series gets really re weird really quick. Um, well, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. um, well. But anyway, so, like, I watched them in order the first time I saw them, and so uh, Mad Max is like, okay, this is a this is a pretty good movie. And then in Road Warrior, it's like, wow, things are really going downhill in uh, this world. And then, but then we get to Thunderdome, it's just like, what is happening? Everything has gone mad. <laughs> uh, does it help if uh, if between if you knew between Road Warrior and Thunderdome there was a nuclear apocalypse directly after Road Warrior? And then another 15 years that separated it from Thunderdome, time-wise. <laughs> Which... So, what? Yeah. Uh, How much time? 15 years. So, oh, okay. So that that's the timeline, isn't it? It's like... Yeah. Um, so, so it's kind of a dystopia. It's a dystopia, and then... Yeah. It becomes like more of a dystopia, and then the the bombs actually drop between two and three. Yeah, the uh, the way that it goes, and uh, if y'all are interested in um, more intro in this, uh, the Mad Max Bible, which uh, hopefully Dave will put a link to that in the description below, yeah. uh, because it, they do a very good job of explaining it uh, better than I could. But essentially, <coughs> Mad Max is uh, the is the parallel between the oil crisis between Saudi Arabia and Iran if it went south. So it was, it's more of a, a relative tale to reality, only taking place, like, briefly in the future. Yeah. And then four years after... <coughs> and then four years after that, people are fleeing the cities because they're becoming more dangerous because of the shortages, and they're going into the wasteland, which brings us uh, the road warrior. And, of course, yeah. Max being... Having lost everything, he just loses himself in the wasteland. I think, I think it's cool and quirky that uh, that uh, you go from gas to methane gas mm -hmm. uh, of pigs. Well, his whole thing in the, in the whole in the shit was yeah. originally was that like you know Miller was fascinated with the idea of what like people would do to keep mobile. Yeah. You know, which mm -hmm. is probably true. If, if this coronavirus shit. <laughs> shut down, like, people being able to go get gas tomorrow, I think you'd see a lot of people take to the roads with guns and start I mean, taking gas, you know, and moving around. Is that, exactly, <coughs> I mean, it wouldn't take that long. 
I think I shared a meme like it's like so how long before this happens and uh, it has the clip you might the thing from like the well, think about that. That's one of your first real freedoms. Like, your first real global freedoms is being able to move, like, at your own pace, you know? So, like, once once cars were invented, that took away the fucking wagon train bullshit, you know? Which is what makes the wagon train bullshit in Road Warrior so enticing, you know? Because it's like, we're kind of past this, but we, we can still do this and make it interesting, you know? Um, yeah. you, you know, your real freedom in the world is being able to go where you want, right? Yeah. Like, that's true. And, and George Miller had that fucking locked down with that first Mad Max where he's like, imagine if people had that taken away from him. Even thinking about it right now, like, honestly, I think the people's ability to move around would be the thing that they would bring out the guns to fight about, you know? Yep. Not vice versa. Like, But you'd yeah. think that, that, uh, that dystopian government would pro- uh, probably take the guns away, too, along with your freedom. <clears throat> well, <laughs> apparently what they're going to do is just leave a bunch of sawed-off shotguns with duds lying around. It's pretty much going to be the case, but the the point remains the same, you know. Like I think I think there is something in that Mad Max shit that makes us like it. That is about yeah. that like ability to move around. You know, he had it fucking dialed in like right away, even though he didn't have the post apocalyptic apocalyptic stuff quite like figured out. Well, I mean, but eventually he wanted to do this story about people that were, like, isolated, you know? Yeah, he was against even using atomic weapons up until this point. Uh, he wanted it to be firmly ground in reality. It wasn't until after they got to the storyline that he was willing to go ahead and let it go. Right. But even then, he had to have it further in the future. So mm-hmm. that if he wanted to return to that well prior mm-hmm. to the... or just after the bombs blew up, mm-hmm. he could. Um, but she kind of did, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's your uh, road has to take place after this, right? Yeah, I don't know if you have guys called Fallout War Boys if you're yeah. super removed from the apocalypse, you know. <laughs> in, okay, in theory, the original script for Fury Road was to take place thirty years after Thunderdome, but uh, the uh, but it's a reboot, so theoretically. All the events happen, but happen like in close succession to one another. Or uh, you could look at it the way I do, which is that if you really wanted to look at it as fit into the chronology of it, it's directly after Road Warrior, before Thunderdome. But you could easily fit it there. That's the way I look at it. If I had to put it into the timeline, it's post-Road Warrior, pre-Thunderdome. Uh, yeah, really though, it's just yeah. a fun reboot. Re- I don't even know if you call it a reboot because it's not really trying. Well, but th- it's hard to say that with the Mad Max. Soft reboot. It's it's there you go. in the same yeah. sense of the new Halloween film is being rebooted. Yeah. It's not necessarily um, saying like screaming, "Let's make sequels." It's just here's this thing that's fucking awesome. Yeah. But uh, I have an idea. <laughs> my original viewing of this was long ago. Uh, my father used to play the soundtrack of this 
uh, in his car on cassette a lot when I was very young. Um, he loved this film a lot. Uh, I remember seeing it for the first time probably around age seven or eight. And I watched it many, many times. I think I've probably seen this film probably 40, 50 times. In Damn. Uh, and I've heard the soundtrack more than that. So I have that pretty well memorized. And the soundtrack to it, to me, is particularly powerful, which is why I put it up. And we'll talk about the soundtrack, of course, when we get to it. But uh, that's well, the reason for putting I it up. I love the beginning uh, song that Tina Turner sings yeah. in the very beginning. Uh, she's always had a strong, powerful voice. Mm -hmm. It's just... Uh, when she was married to Ike uh, is when things kind of went sour. But I think that was after Beyond Thunderdome. Um, when she had the strained relationship with him. Okay, dude, she's still making Thunderdome money, I'm sure. But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's go ahead and start with the plot. Uh, of course, Mad Max. I'm just going to try and do it in big chunks uh, so we can move through quicker. Yep. Uh, so Max gets kind of raided, as he seems to do in these movies, uh, because he can't seem to keep his vehicle, uh, except for the first film, for some reason. Uh, and he gets basically dive-bombed by this guy in this airplane, who my guess is <coughs> a relative of the guy he was harassing in the second film. <laughs> uh, then, to get his stuff back, he tracks the guy to this place called, called Bartertown, where he makes this... Oh, by the way, spoiler alert uh, for future uh, information. Tracks us to this place called Bartertown, where you pretty much can trade for anything. It's all about making deals. It's a kind of mockery on modern-day civilization. So, kind of like the purge before the purge, in a way. Well, I was getting kind of a Hannibal vibe with the pigs. Yeah, definitely there. Uh, but he ends up making a deal with uh, Auntie, who rules there, to take on this uh, this other person, because it's a kind of a two-power faction, her and Master Blaster. And Master Blaster <laughs> runs the methane factories below the city that produce the power. Okay, yeah, he gets involved in a stereotypical samurai fucking device right here, which is where he's the guy that comes into town that uh, gets hired to take out another person that's prominent in the town by another person that's prominent in the town, only he can't do it in a way that's fucking ridiculous, so he has to challenge him to a fair duel. 100% samurai maybe shit, you know. Uh, uh, you have a fun thing, uh, there's a character in Mortal Kombat 10, Ferator, uh, and they're like Master Blaster. Nice. Mm -hmm. oh, yes. The unique thing about Master Blaster is they're actually two people. So Master is this uh, little person who rides on Blaster's back, and Blaster is this like eight foot tall monster of a dude. Mm -hmm. Which is amazing, but if you take away all that fucking shit from it, it's a samurai movie plot, you know. Oh, yeah. So, what did y'all think of the concept of Bartertown as a as a general? We haven't even gotten to Thunderdome yet, oh, so no, we can hit that next. Bartertown, Megaton, I get it. 
Barter Town kind of reminds me of like Dungeons and Dragons and their thieves uh, world kind of thing. You know, uh, where, where it's this town that's just based on bartering, trading anything for anything. So precisely, dude. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's entertaining when he's asking for the weaponry when he makes the deal. Yeah. They've even got a guy screening them. You can't even enter unless you got a deal worth entering for. But notice how there are laws in this t- uh, town. So, so how many times has that been fucking parodied to that fucking scene in Thunderdome where he's putting all his weapons up? I'm sure that was a parody of like earlier scenes too. So it's like, oh, there's got to be a western. It has to be, yeah. You know, you know it exactly what I'm saying, Brandon. Like there has to be like oh, yeah. an origin story for that. Oh, well, there's got to be on that. But the, it's uh, it's just really cool seeing all the general things. You've got the auctions going on, the atomic cafe. There's a lot of stuff moving. There's a lot of moving parts. This motherfucker is in the line trying to sell, sell like water. That's a f- <laughs> he hits it with the Geiger counter and it's like, <laughs> like not the water you want to be buying in line. What's yeah. uh, uh, the line? Only so and so percent irradiated. <laughs> Yeah, I played this game. What's well, uh, uh, Like you said. <laughs> or the, are you selling the camels? About talking about the suspension and the. <laughs> I did rather like the uh, the guy that was the the screener, like for the the town, like the way he was just all business or whatever and. They seem like, you know, just kind of this chubby old dude, but then when he actually had to fight, you know, could hold his own. I was like, that was kind of fun. But, um, and I like the part where they made Max give up his weapons. And he's just so many weapons. And it reminded me of the scene in Kino's journey where Kino had to give up her weapons. And it just, I love that scene so much. It just... It's, it's to the point of absurdity, but it's... Uh, it, on the other hand, in this particular setting, it makes sense. <laughs> they still get have weapons. He still gets one by them with that little fly swatter. Fly swatter. That was fun. But, Always let a man keep his fly swatter. <laughs> well, yeah. Especially if you're going to a place run by pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that will connect to Waterworld right now. Is it felt like the people living down in the pig shed definitely was like an inspiration on the dude living down in the oil. Oh, yeah. Waterworld. I still didn't know Mad Max. <laughs> Actually, I would not be surprised if Mad Max was a direct influence on that and the Postman. Oh, and it. Totally is, dude. If they don't admit it, they're fucking jabronis. <laughs> that one I want to see. Oh, the post one is just wild. Uh, Postman rules. It's wild. That was one of my favorite. <laughs> it's not bad. Postman just didn't do good. That's the difference between being a good movie and a bad movie. I just I can't think of that without thinking about that cracked uh, uh, meme that they did or the the photoplasty they did of the uh, 
the dude walking through the barren wasteland, and it was Cliff Clavin, and it was just... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say this. The Postman equally deserves the respect, I think, that stuff like Mad Max gets, and equally destroys the water world is like <laughs> in terms of being a post-apocalyptic movie the postman was good water world's fun oh, yeah. you know but water world is not great oh, don't get me wrong when i say bad movie i mean it in a good bad movie way so i mean it with all the best respect it's just postman was not, i don't think the postman was a bad movie i think the postman was a movie that came out and unfortunately stacked against some shit it couldn't handle and it was maybe ahead of its time. Yeah. The Postman, if you released it today, I think would do a lot better. Hmm. Or shoot, if the Postman had released 10 years earlier. There you go. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about Waterworld for a long time other than people would like pan it very viciously. Yeah. Yes, extremely viciously, and, and I grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Waterworld was like a new movie at one point. Oh, uh, it ended up on as an Arrow release, uh, really? which uh, kind of dope. What the fuck? Hmm. I have it. Yeah, I have it too. Hmm. Uh, but that's I. I have yeah. Well, I know. I was always told. I guess the point of my story is I was always told Waterworld was like a terrible movie. But it sounds like I was given bad information. Yes. And I kind of probably watch it at some point this week. It's not a shit. Compliment, Mad Max. You totally need to watch Waterworld. I wish I'd known about this sooner. I'd have said this about people get on the the podcast with me over there. But damn, dude. Waterworld is such not the movie people fucking try to make it out to be. Maybe it'll come up with if people like the Mad Max series, they'd like Waterworld like and the Postman. Waterworld yeah. were fucking hardcore fanboys of Mad Max. Just, I just, I feel like I was maybe, you know, as a little kid, and I still loved Waterworld. I thought it was fucking awesome. Yeah, uh, but I was also like eight. You know, <laughs> uh, I can't really say that I had the best intentions in mind. I was just like, give me more of that shit. Thank thank God there's this, like, water movie. I think uh, a big part of what sunk that one was that Kevin Costner was such a huge star at the time and people yeah. were like, why in the hell did you make this? <laughs> it was the same thing as Postman, though, too. Yeah, and that movie yeah. was also pretty goddamn good if you actually watched it. It was yeah. I think it fucking, was a different crowd than what he was aimed at with, uh, with the crowd he was originally going for. Yeah, I think Costner was like us. He was like an old sci-fi nerd or some shit. And <laughs> wanted to make something that was fucking actually cool. <laughs> and people were like, why aren't you just playing a dude that makes friends with Indians or something? <laughs> 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 and that's, that's where it is. <laughs> so, uh, as far as the as far as this goes with Mad Max. When we get in here, we of course meet Auntie as uh, our main antagonist. And I really use that term loosely because I don't consider many of the characters in Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, and I really don't consider most of the people in Bartertown as much wrong. evil as they are neutral. They just kind of do anything neutral. Wrong. They, they are all about their laws and working within it. Now, they yeah. may be 
because even even Auntie knows how to play by the book. Yeah, well, when they fucking pull the shit out from underneath them though, and start blowing up the entire city, and maybe it gets a little different. She's played by Tina Turner, and I, I have to say, despite everything, she gives a pretty impressive performance as a character in this. Oh, she was really, into it. Yeah. I really loved the character. Uh, matter of fact, to me, she was the one that shined the most as far as the characters were concerned. What did y'all think mm -hmm. of this character? Oh, I would have wholeheartedly agreed, dude. Widely that was something, maybe it was because of my uncle and their 80s music as a kid, but mm -hmm. Tina Turner going into it was always a highlight for me. Right. She did a good job, definitely. Very good job. It didn't feel like a celebrity being just inserted into it. It felt like she actually embraced the role. It, it also didn't seem like she was just in there for the sex symbolism. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like she got, she was into it, dude. And you can tell in later sequences with her that she I was mean, like a Reddit, she did kind of end up being kind of a sex symbol, but shit. Yeah, she was about that Mad Max shit. Whether <laughs> she was actually there for most of it or not. I like the, point, the points where they had Tina Turner in there, she she fucking did exactly what you'd want her to do. Right. Yeah. yeah, I love the I love the line that she was saying at the end. It's like, "Ain't we a pair, Raggedy Man?" And yeah, I, I loved talk. all of her exchange with Mel Gibson. <laughs> so great. It's interesting that this is probably her most significant acting role. She only has a handful. Doesn't um, mean But it's. Uh, yeah, and actually, this is a theme that I'm thinking about putting forward at some point: is uh, musicians who take on major acting roles. And I got a library cover. Some of yeah, some of them are much better than Madonna. Uh, <laughs> although Madonna's had some notable roles. Um, and yes, Labyrinth is not Bowie's only significant role. He's had a couple of oh, great now. I feel like there's better ones, yeah. though. Like, yeah. insanely better ones. Like, yeah. uh, I think it was The Prestige that I thought it, he was yeah. really impressive in. You yeah. want old sci-fi, you get a man who's held it. Something in general, oh, but, like, musicians that are that. They have been. But, um, and some of the ones who are considered for that movie as well, but, uh, like, staying in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, I mean, that's a... It's a good one there, but um, yeah. Overall, there were some interesting portrayals in here. Um, the one dude I was thinking of was played by Frank Thring, the veteran uh, Australian actor. Uh, yes, Bruce Spence is the one who returns as Jedediah the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, Actually, this one, uh, apparently the kid who plays his son, I think, got out of acting, and I think I read he became, like, a club designer or something, and a DJ who actually frequently uses a remix of the theme song from this. Nice. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. the one that played the feral kid with the boomerang from oh. Road Warrior became a jeweler, so, hey. <laughs> Did you really touch on, like, the kids in this movie? Oh, man. We're going to get to it. We, we, we're gonna he, get they to seem it. to kind of come out of nowhere. 
But uh, I think we've already sort of sort of talked about like the Lost Boys kind of vibe that we get. Yeah. Yep. Right. Sorry, uh, Jake. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's all right. I just wanted to make sure that we hadn't glossed over this because this is uh, shit's important. We're, we're gonna get there. We we haven't finished. Uh, we haven't finished the first part yet. Where we're gonna get into the namesake, the Thunderdome, mm-hmm. because of course Max takes up the deal, but he's got to keep it secret because this is some Games of Thrones type crap. Because uh, <laughs> Master Blaster is basically. Flaunting his power, saying, like, look, look, dude, I run the show here. And if you, yep. uh, and if you try and show me some lip, I'm going to show you There will be no more methane. So uh, she's like, okay, we can't have this, but we need Master's <coughs> because he's the one who understands how all this power stuff works. Mm-hmm. So basically they send uh, Max down there. He scouts it out. Says, yeah, that's cool. I'll make the deal. I'll make sure that I'm equipped as good as I was before I got in here, and I'll do the deed. So he has to pick a fight with them because they have this concept of Thunderdome, where two people who have a dispute they go in, they fight each other, and two men enter, one man leaves. Exactly, classic. So, So you know, dispute handled. Uh, their way of saying, no more wars, you got a dispute, you handle it in here, you fight it out, and everybody gets to get the entertainment out of it. And so, you know, there are no rules. So. <laughs> and it just so happens that, they, uh, that, he, that Master Blaster bought the vehicle that was stolen from Max. So Max had the perfect reason to pick a fight with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, manages to <laughs> have my car. the Thunderdome. Which leads to an epic fight between Max and Blaster, <laughs> where Max earlier on manages in his scouting to figure out Blaster's one weakness, which uh, we'll pick up at. So what do you all I, think? I, I will, well, I'll mention real quick back to the fact they had his car. I like that scene with that dude trying to disarm the bomb on it, and he's like <laughs> so close, and then like he explains the whole process. And then he, like, Max is like, oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's like, I don't know, it's my car. <laughs> it's like, you know, but, but that guy, that mechanic or whatever he was, he amused me in his brief uh, appearance. See? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that this kind of confrontation that they have originally was like, it's my vehicle. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, brain broken. Him, pedestrian. (laughs) (laughs) You will disarm. Uh, No, I will not. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I believe, isn't that like the only time in the movie where he introduces himself or says his name? It's like he's fighting and he's like, me, Max. <laughs> yeah. That's a that weird broken language the guy uses. <laughs> Which technically, uh, if, if you break it down, he was using a lot of the broken language because he was using it for Blaster. I mean, yeah, for Blaster sure. benefit because Blaster didn't understand a lot of things as sure. well. Because if you if you note it, if you listen to him speak after 
after he's actually Blaster's actually killed, mm-hmm. he actually starts dropping the broken speech and starts speaking normally. Well, that's true. I don't think I noticed it right away, but I think I kind of did later on. It's it's a part of Miller's subtle world building. I mean, as I said, Miller, as I said in the previous video, I actually think that Miller's world building is sort of like how Dark Souls does its world building. You kind of have to pick it up as you go through all these subtle cues and hints. Yeah, it doesn't slam you right in the face with it. You know, it's not trying to be like Lord of the Rings or something. It's trying to be very much the opposite of that. Yeah. And I think that comes across a lot in almost every movie. Yeah. And it totally gradually builds up to the shit that we are used to with Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> you look at Beyond Thunderdome, especially the last car scene, like, that shit preps you for Fury Road, yeah. for sure. Oh yeah. So, what did y'all think of the Thunderdome fight? That's <laughs> pretty, pretty strange. Uh, kind of reminded me of like uh, space training. Uh, like American Gladiator shit. Yeah. Anybody's they have those harnesses. Like Hell in a Cell. Yeah. With weapons. I personally think that Thunderdome should be a normal part of life. You know, two men and two women uh, Fucking, uh, I think uh, in terms of that point in the, in the series, definitely we need to see Max do some shit, you know. Um, the initial part of it is kind of watered down by the fact that they <laughs> if you watch it they they don't really know what to do like with those you know rubber bands or whatever that they're on <laughs> so there's just a point at the beginning of it where like Mel Gibson is he's like flopping around like a fish <laughs> and that part always kind of bugs me out but yeah, outside of he that. He picks it up, though. He gets into flipping and doing all that stuff. <laughs> he gets, yeah. Once he gets rolling, uh, which they find, of course, the one weakness that he finds out when he activates the car alarm is blaster is weak to loud noises. And he happens to have his whistle that he has to help summon his monkey. Uh, I don't know what it is with people and pet monkeys back in those days. But, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, monkey. So you know, uh, so he actually was able to use that to his advantage to win, and finds out that, of course, uh, Master is not necessarily this uh, evil individual, but kind of an innocent, which draws upon Max's uh, good side. Which is something you also see in a lot of it is that Max is considered this hardened, selfish wastelander, but he still has that core that makes him who he is. He's still kind of a cop, yeah, like the good, the good cop from when he was in the first movie. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then he does that like, camera movie <laughs> shit where he helps people out and then he just ends up either getting like left behind or just wandering off on his own. Yeah. He very much is like that wandering wasteland samurai. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I said, if they had the funding behind it, I think they could have made it into a weekly CV series. And definitely I could see the comic book series going well, because that would have been... That, that fits for serial drama. I read something that, like, the person who was slated to star in the series was injured or something like that, and that's why they scuttled yeah. it. But, yeah, it could have happened, but... <clears throat> Anyway, but yeah, the Thunderdome fight was interesting. But I, honestly, I was expecting more. You know, I was thinking, I know it's called Beyond Thunderdome, so maybe that should have been a, a clue right there. Yeah, right there. <laughs> I just kind of feel like it was it was over really quickly. You know, it was what about- kind of a small part of the movie. What about the spectacle they made of it, like the announcer doing the whole thing at the very beginning? The announcer was interesting. He was, he was interesting. Oh, he's the best part of the movie, probably. Well, what did they call him? Was that, uh... Was he... What was his Dr. name? Was he Dr. Dillgood? Or was he... I don't know. What, the announcer? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that uh, I maybe don't necessarily love about this movie is that it hits you with so many like crazy, like visually interesting characters so fast. I never really noticed anyone's name. Uh, <laughs> well, you kind of want to follow each one of them because you got you got to wonder what each person's backstory is. Yeah, a lot of them could get their own movie. It's like, oh wow, what's got that guy in like the weird. Army made out of car parts. Let's follow that guy around for a while. <laughs> See what his day is like. But of course, Max's main issue, and it took me a couple of viewings to really understand this, but Max, of course, screws up when he tells Auntie this wasn't a part of our deal, which breaks their deal because part of the deal was secrecy. And uh, they end up killing uh, Blaster and of course Max has to pay the penalty which you break a deal you face the wheel (laughs) so yeah so the guy that plays the announcer is Edwin Hodgman and I've actually seen a couple of other RC films that he's been in hey hey it's Esther Blueberger and that's interesting but yeah. So yeah, he kind of fumbles that right there, the deal thing. It's like, yeah, he kind of screws up his uh, part in that, <laughs> which is kind of sad, really, if you think about it, because he did. Uh, he was doing really well, and of course, again, if he if he hadn't shown his just general feeling of, well, he's innocent, I can't kill somebody who's innocent, mm-hmm. he would have already, well, of course, it would have been a very short movie, you'd just kill the guy, got into stuff, and left. 
<laughs> that would have probably been a, that would have been kind of a crappy movie at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But they end up uh, end up getting Gulag or whatever it is as a choice, which apparently ends up being uh, him. <laughs> Gulag. Yeah. Well, that would be the Gulag Desert, wouldn't it? So. <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> basically put him backwards on a horse and put hang water in front of it so that it would go in a one direction, which happens to be out into the middle of nowhere. Yep. Hmm. Kind of what the what they did to Paul Atreides and Dune. Hmm. After they uh, they killed. It. Duke Leto Atreides. Mm. And then he somehow gets uh, found by a young woman who is part of this Lost Boys kind of a thing. They're just suddenly wild children in this movie. <laughs> wild I- children. I had kind of a hard time following what the plot, what the plot itself actually was, because it seems to, because it moves on real fast. It's like now this is happening, now that's happening. Yeah. Now that's kind of the pacing that mm-hmm. you know I yeah. felt with this. Because now they're in, in Never Neverland near Mermaid yeah. Lagoon. <laughs> and the, th- the fact that the two uh, apparently oldest individuals, uh, Savannah, who's played by Helen Bidet, and Slake, who's played by Tom Jennings, they're probably just about the right ages or just a bit older to really be stand-ins for Peter and Wendy. And so it really does give that vibe. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're probably, the fact they kind of end up on separate ends of the divide when it comes to stay or go, I think that kind of even just makes it further, kind of showing Peter versus Wendy. Kind of, you know. <laughs> that was kind of nothing in there. <clears throat> but I, my biggest question that the whole movie revolved around this, though, is like, we hear the tell. You know, we get that lovely tell from uh, Savannah but there's really no explanation for why a bunch of kids and young adults are gathered with no one else they don't really explain that part of it and I was just kind of well, unless I missed something <laughs> and I just thought that was kind of strange <laughs> but I don't know. Did anyone else get that answer, Brandon? Was that listed in your outside sources? Am I am I on? <laughs> <laughs> okay, just making sure. Uh, in any case, uh, all the children are left in the care of the of the, basically of the older children by the yeah. adults. Who thought they were just going on a, uh, including Captain Walker, uh, who thought they were just going to go on a short journey back. Uh, they figured that they could go and then come back, and then ended up getting basically slaughtered instead. 
Uh, so they ended up uh, being left on their own to care for their own. And of course, they're both doing an okay job of propagating because at least one of the, the teen girls is pregnant, uh, right. as you can see in there. But uh, it's uh, a very weird, feral, Children of the Flies uh, type deal uh, mm-hmm. where they get that, as, uh, as Mo was saying earlier about the uh, about that uh, worship thing going on yeah. with all the weird... I mean, as Max saying, stop the noise, stop the noise, as they go. As they believe he has come back to fly them home, and because their understanding is kind of warped. Mm-hmm. I mean, Savannah herself was only like one, one-ish during the initial uh, flight out right. to escape the nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is why you can kind of date it, because she... Well, she and the oldest were kind of just, like, right there at birth, so in there they're around 16, 16, 17-ish, so which is why they're around, they're around 15 years after. So, mm-hmm. they are, uh, so they have very little understanding as to the reality, though it is kind of cool, you have that kind of mystical moment, where he throws the hat in the air, and everything just kind of, like, the kite and stuff just starts heading towards... The f- crash zone of the plane. It's just kind of a cool, weird. Yeah, when he throws that kind of. That's like a favorite. And I love. I love how the children are against that backdrop of the plane, that silhouette uh, of them uh, aligning the back of the uh, the top of the plane and the wing. That that uh, that right there is like a beautiful picture. It does. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, it reminds me of the George Carlin uh, sketch where he's saying, you know, where they say, get on the plane, get on the plane. Heck with you, I'm getting in the plane. Lady Evil and Evil, get my, on the plane. One of my favorite stand-up routines is somebody actually kind of giving Carlin a bit of grief for that. It's like, you know what she means? Get on the plane. <laughs> well, they definitely got on the plane. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Granted, they would have had to do some excavating to do anything else, but you know. And I, I, was it the uh, the one dude who wore the face paint? I think was the one up on the tail, wasn't he? And I liked how that character was named Screw Loose. That was a fairly appropriate. Uh... Well, he was a weird one because he actually would sneak across the desert to Barter Town. Because you see him actually in the pig area. So he's actually been sneaking across the desert most of this time anyway, but he doesn't speak, so therefore... (laughs) And he reminded me visually of the uh, Half-Life rare kids. You know, they... uh... There was a lot of similarity there. They took took that theme and fucking definitely expanded it. Yeah. (laughs) For us, maybe. Mm-hmm. But they, but they didn't have a Bugs Bunny doll to tell them how to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a shame, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it, yeah. Uh, it, once you get him in front of a judge, uh, he's like, "The bunny made me do it." <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much Warner Brothers contributed to the uh, budget to allow that. Well, right. at least it's not the bunny in the movie that you had me watch, Dave. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. I think I really want to know. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, Funny the killer thing. 
but uh, <laughs> it, it uh, basically Max, for some reason, doesn't fly them home. I don't know why. Uh, and uh, when they realize that reality is slightly different than their perception, then again a rift forms between the two factions. Those who are more of a realist, and they kind of stick with Max, saying, "Well, why are we moving?" We've got something that nobody else has. We've got water, we've got plant life, we've got perfection right here. Mm -hmm. And the other saying, no, he's not going to lead us out. We're going to find our way on our own. We're going to go back to tomorrow, Morrowland, or Sydney. <laughs> yeah, basically, we're just going to bounce to like a civilization again or something. Right. They think. They think. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, they managed to do it, uh, even though Max has basically uh, worked towards making sure they didn't, including hog tying them. But they got out of that. <laughs> yeah. And that—that's that stupid kid uh, portion of the movie, you know. But uh, without it, they probably would never have moved the plot forward because. Yeah. When Max has to go after him, it's, uh, it moves the plot along. I do like how he ended up punching her. <laughs> that, uh, that was different. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, he, he managed to luck out on an ancient gun somehow working the right way for him. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a cool scene. I mean, he did. He basically, I think Max actually really did a good job of looking like the tough character throughout most of the movie. Yes. Except for that beginning part where he kind of fumbled around at the Thunderdome. But, you know, otherwise, uh, he was pretty damn uh, impressive throughout the whole. Yeah. But uh, he, they, they realize after the desert, and they have these sinkholes in the desert to just swallow you up. After they realize, oh crap, we probably shouldn't have wandered out on our own after all. Yeah. After one of them dies, uh, they have to go to Bartertown, which is one of the closest places, in order to spring Master because uh, he would be able to be their best shot at uh, getting home again. Master's like which... an engineer, like knows how to fix the plane or something to that effect, right? Yeah. So. So when the police come and take us all away, uh, <laughs> uh, they they manage to actually uh, have a scene where they spring uh, Master uh, with even a harken back to Star Wars, if I remember correctly, where the guy comes in and uh, runs and uh, Max chases after him and then turns around and runs the other way as they uh, all come after him. <laughs> But uh, what did y'all think of the whole scene where they kind of come back to Barter Town from uh, the desert and, uh, you know, wreak havoc, I guess? It, it, oh, we uh, were kind of a lesson learned in a sense because uh, none of these children knew the dangers of the world. They, uh, they, were, uh, uh, they were from a world where it was... It, it was kind of lived in the bubble. So, anything that they did after 
you know, it, it was kind of like lessons being learned. You know what I mean? Well, except for Screwloose, who apparently had been to Barter Town many times before. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you don't have any screws loose. <laughs> but, uh, in any case, anyone else? Now, could anyone actually blame Auntie for wanting to come after them after doing that? Uh, I mean, basically, they went in, they wrecked the place, and destroyed their entire infrastructure below the city when they took that train and uh, headed out. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about that uh, uh, the, uh, the scenes uh, about that whole jailbreak thing yeah. I don't know I thought it was a cool scene uh, so like they sneak in they're like sneaking in through vents and stuff mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so guys I'm I'm not Still sick, but my brain is kind of not all here. <laughs> but no, it, it was a good like it was just, it was just a good break in scene. Uh, so I kind of like when they I seem to recall like they they pull somebody through like a water pipe. Like one of the guards is like, "Hey," and they just like yeah. yank him through that thing. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> I also liked how they had the one guy wearing the football gear comes up to the pipe and Max just punches him out in the face. <laughs> That's exactly what I was trying to describe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when they take that train, they just blow the whole thing up and uh, you can see mm -hmm. explosions all up in, uh, in Barter Town. But, of course, Aunt, Auntie isn't sitting well with that, which I can't really blame her in, in all aspects. No. It's not per se an evil act. It's more of a you screwed with our stuff. Uh, we're uh, don't take my stuff. Yeah. Don't uh, take my <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he basically trashed their stuff. I mean, and their town. And she goes out to the town and says, "We must take back our master." Sure. Uh, the way she words it, it it's like uh, you know. We will rebuild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She she was like really uh, into that. So that then you come the the really crazy chase scene with them on the train, mm -hmm. fighting off all the people in the vehicles. Mm -hmm. Which of course they then go way overboard and repeat again when you get the Fury Road. I mean, mm -hmm. the the stuff in the stuff in the previous movies had. I really feel like Thunderdome really built on that more than anything else, and then mm. uh, Fury Road just expanded that. And of course, uh, this is the sequence where we meet, where we see the cow car. <laughs> oh yeah, cow car is the best <laughs> car. Where Max gets to drive. <laughs> and and one of the major generals that they had is that guy who has the creepy. Like mannequin head on a stick. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he just like, punk that guy. I remember that. Call him like Tum Tum Tattoo or some such thing. And he keeps. That dude had so much crap thrown at him. I felt like for at least three times he should have been dead. <laughs> uh, I remember when they threw him in the pig crap, and I yes. thought it was so gross when he came out and like saw it got in his mouth. 
And I was, I was thinking, like, uh, I was thinking in that chase scene, I was like, "Dude, he washed that crap off fast." <laughs> <laughs> but then he got thrown off of a bridge. Uh, <laughs> he somehow God. managed to come back from that. <laughs> but in his final scene, it's great because in the very final scene where he dies, he gives the finger. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love that part uh, where he's just about to die, and then the hand comes up with the middle finger. But I really think that this scene where the vehicular combat is is where this film shines in the action department because it really pulled out all the stops for this for the scenes. Uh, you had just all things going crazy throughout it. Again, not as crazy as Fury Road, but they didn't have that kind of budget. So, right. <laughs> still, it was a pretty you know, good, uh, I would almost pair this movie like next to Goonies, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. It was the same year, wasn't it? Uh, 86, right? Yeah. Goonies is 86, right? Or is it 85? No, actually, the 85, and so is this one. So, yeah, they are the same year. I, I, I kept on thinking, like, Goonies kind of a vibe, too, you know? With this yeah. uh, uh, film. So, uh, so, to me, uh, having them both come out the same year, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Does anybody else have any comments on the, uh, on the vehicular combat scene? Well, uh, I do like the fact that um, both in this one and in Fury Road, um, they use different things with trains. Um, like this one, we've got the, the, the vehicle on the train tracks. Whereas uh, the tanker that they have uh, with uh, with all the uh, the uh, the gas or what whatnot uh, uh, that had a train piece on the front of it, <laughs> you know, it was kind of unique design. Mm -hmm. So I don't know uh, if people can follow my viewpoint on that. Yeah, uh, I thought it was just, uh, just in general, I thought it was pretty darn cool. Uh, it really, these type of, I mean, without vehicular combat, Mad Max is just a regular action film. That but really, I mean, really, that's what makes a Mad Max film, is that vehicle stuff, because it's what the, it's what the action, the main part of the action in uh, Road Warrior and in the original Mad Max was all about the vehicles. Which makes it quite amusing that Max is mistaken for Captain Walker, uh, and, uh, an air, and a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which is interesting that you uh, mentioned the vehicles because that's kind of why I think that um, the Death Race series, uh, especially the one with Jason Statham and so on and so forth, uh, so forth, the, uh, those vehicles that are used there are very similar to, uh, to some of the ones that were used in uh, Mad Max, you know. So. 
It's like yeah. worlds built other worlds. Mm -hmm. so. so you get to you get to go to, when they get to the end of the track. Of course, they they're about to get robbed again by uh, the kid <laughs> of the uh, the pilot. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I love the way he says it. it's like. Move and you're dead meat. And then he sees the uh, all of the people coming up behind him. Like, oh, I think we're all dead meat. <laughs> he runs. He's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this shit. Let's get out of here. But that that mm -hmm. scene where he goes in and he goes to the, the vehicle and then disappears. I thought I always thought that was cool, but that's just because I love the secret passages and stuff that they have in there. Where he's able to climb down that to the cave where they've been hiding out. <laughs> and of course, uh, our pilot friend gets a, a quite a rude awakening, realizing that, oh, <laughs> here's the guy I robbed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <gasps> you! <laughs> and he ends up getting roped into actually helping Max out. Mm -hmm. Uh by giving them a plane ride out of there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, now, you guys might be able to point this out to me because I wasn't certain. The vehicle that Max ends up utilizing mm -hmm. to clear the runway in order to take off, is that his original vehicle that was restored? Because it kind of reminded me of that vehicle that he was running in. Uh, prior to the hole. Yeah, it did kind of remind me about, a little bit about it. It may have been, like, of the body of it or something like that. They might have built upon it. Because, I mean, Master Blaster, they, they repaired his vehicle. Yeah. You know, they got it to where it was running. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, of course, they, he, of course, Master lost it when uh, Blaster was killed. Mm-hmm. So, mm -hmm. it very well could have been his vehicle. It looked like what he had had because he was in this Jeep that kind of had it chained out like a wagon train. <laughs> but uh, it was just kind of cool to see him if it was his original vehicle because we so rarely get to see Max keep his vehicles throughout these movies. <laughs> right. And uh, he had to clear the way and sacrifice himself so that everyone else could uh, live. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and they just let him go, which was uh, kind of unexpected. Well, it's also the personality of the main villain. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like, okay, you have been a royal pain in the ass, and I am not happy with you, but you, you, you can, you, you got some skills. I respect that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think she was amused at the end yeah. of it all. I mean, like I said, she said, like, ain't we a pair, Raggedy Man? Because yeah. I think she was amused by the fact that he was left behind by the whole group. Right. And, uh, he was just there. Right. So they just let you him go. Him he won't be welcome back in Motor Town, but... <laughs> yeah, so he, he just... Back to wander in the wasteland again. Yep. Oh yeah. Which, uh, and of course, the others managed to find their way back to the decimated and probably still irradiated Sydney. Yeah. And uh, they decide we're going to set up 
our own civilization <laughs> and uh, you cut to the end where they're uh, retelling the story with Savannah having her own child mm-hmm. in the future as they wait for their brethren and for Max's inevitable mm-hmm. return. Well, yeah, because uh, only like a part of them are in that factory at the very end. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it, it, because they, they'd left some of them behind with um, sk- uh, sk- uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, sk- yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> so what did y'all think about the end? I mean, that's a typical samurai slash cowboy wandering tale at the end, isn't it? Where they just, uh, they leave yeah. him out there so he's wandering the wasteland until he runs into his next adventure. Uh, pretty much where we find him in Fury Road. Yeah. Looking totally different for some reason. <laughs> well, I mean, that's because of the yeah. If you watch them back to back, it's interesting that uh, Tom Hardy does have some similarities. It's not like yeah. they could have gone very different. <laughs> Like like if they shaved Mel Gibson like all the way, you'd get Tom Hardy. (laughs) uh, Like I said, the original concept of Fury Road was an older Max taking place 30 years after that uh, where he's mostly feral himself and by discovering love and relationship with Furiosa, he ends up uh, regaining some of his humanity Mm -hmm. and eventually decides to try and rejoin civilization. <laughs> and also, like with Furiosa, uh, which was the original ending. <laughs> but uh, that would have probably been, uh, but that though a very different tale. It probably would have been the exact same movie otherwise, just with a slightly different beginning and a slightly different ending, and different actors. And that would have been basically it, because otherwise it would pretty much be the same. <laughs> Because they had that movie like planned from the start, so yeah, uh, for the most part, it's just but, uh, certain things drifted up. I mean, I like the ending on this. Like, it feels like a good bookend to that original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, what did y'all think about the uh, special effects in this particular? All this the movie costume had, design and this movie had pretty good effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> I had to catch myself there. I saw Salem's Lot earlier today, and I was gonna say, you know, the worst effect was that crushed dog in the cemetery. Oh wait, that was Salem's Lot. <laughs> it's got That's some fun. amazing practical effects in this. I mean, uh, I was mentioning the set and costume design too. Like it's mm-hmm. so unique. Like it's been parodied so much as just when people think apocalypse, like they they see the aesthetics from this movie. And uh, they parodied it in Rick and Morty a while ago too. They had a whole, they had a whole Mad Max episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Mad Max which is a staple of our culture. <laughs> which is <laughs> ironic because it's Australian. This is true. as we've said in the in the other discussion. Um, the, the use of practical effects and, 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 and very impressive stunt work and what have you in these films is it is very impressive and uh, I'm, I'm 
I, I do agree with the ones that are like, if you're going to use CG and, and other visual effects, you got to do it in a way that's, that's good, <laughs> that ages well, or it just doesn't. And a lot of the visual effects from this time period were pretty off. So I think it's good that they didn't have as much of that in this film, um, that there was more just practical for the most part. And and, and, and given that, it was, it was good effects, no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, that's the cool thing of it. Uh, does anyone else have anything else on the effects before we move on? I... I enjoyed the effects in all three of the original trilogy. And I guess I would have to say the Fury Road one as well. I mean, the the car changes, the set designs, the, uh, the costumes... It's just a lot to take in, you know, I mean... Well, and, and one thing I think we still didn't even talk about really specifically was the cinematography for all of these. They put the camera right in the action quite a lot of the time. Yeah. That that was impressive, too, and, and both because of the effect it gives you as the viewer, but just the process of doing that, that, again, took some skill and some creativity to pull that off. So. I, I feel like the film was very well made. Mm -hmm. It's a good movie. This is like of some course. people's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> and there are others that love its existence. It is my favorite Mad <laughs> Max film. I would yeah, have to say that this is my favorite Mad Max film, per se. But as far as visuals go, Fury Road actually does a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, they had a lot it's more not... money to work with. <laughs> uh, uh, better technology and all that stuff. But oh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I think if you if you were to take, like, if you were to say quantifying it, like, for the time, this one did <laughs> good for what, yeah. for what yeah. it had. And what I it agree. Was. Yeah. So, speaking of, to me, of course, the part that puts us into the reason for the movie itself, which is music. And uh, to me, I actually consider this score the best of all the Mad Max films. Of course, we talked about the first two kind of being just kind of accentuating what was going on with, uh, with Fury Road really being the only one that stood out like as anything. But I really feel like the music in this film was a character in and of itself the scores were quite intricate. I've listened to them over and over again a lot. And just hearing it again, you can tell that they really worked. I mean, it, like I said, it was on a different level to me. But uh, and this one had music by Maurice Jarre, who actually has done some pretty impressive stuff over the years. And there was a big orchestral score going on in this. Mm -hmm. What happened to Mo? Let's see. I think he fell asleep. I heard snoring. <laughs> I don't know. So it's like, you know, he hasn't talked for a while. 
They probably so, yeah, compose all that Mad Max stuff. <laughs> so the composer of this score won Oscars for a Passage to India, Doctor Zhivago, and Lawrence of Arabia, and also did films like Ghost and I know this. Yeah, there's some good, good stuff there on the resume. <laughs> that's, that's, that was not the original Doctor Zhivago. That was the uh, uh, remake of the uh, series or whatever. The David Lean one. Yeah. Which was, uh. What do you mean, not the original one? What are you thinking of? Well, I'm thinking of, uh, the, the original, uh, Dr. Zivago. Um. That, uh. Let's, let's see, uh, Dr. The, yeah, from 1965 with Omar. Yeah. That's the one that Maurice Star won the Oscar for, yes. Well, there was another one that uh, that was done in like the two thousands that I think was underneath that guy. So, uh, I don't see a listing for it here. Let's see from two thousand two. Uh, let's see. Oh well, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I also right. really like the Tina Turner songs that we had. In right. I mean, some of those were iconic, like uh, the Beyond Thunderdome, of course, the one at the beginning that uh, that Dave was talking about. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, uh, to me, it's a it's just iconic soundtrack-wise. I mean, does anybody feel like the soundtrack, does anybody disagree, like a soundtrack didn't, uh, they feel like it didn't have any power to it? or No, it was a good soundtrack. Uh, there were a lot more ballads than I would have expected, but, you know, Tina Turner, I guess that's, that's why. There's uh, definitely a more balanced, uh, assortment of scores, it wasn't all just pumping action, like, the first couple films mostly were, um, there were some softer pieces to the score, and, yeah. I mean, just uh, hearing that whole like uh, that that saxophone where it's just uh, going for the barter town thing, just that uh, it just uh, I don't know. It's one of those few soundtracks, and I don't have a lot of them that mm -hmm. I could listen to on its own, and I have listened to on its own many times. Hmm. But again, to me, I've got the lens of nostalgia clouding my mind. <laughs> so it's very possible that it's a terrible soundtrack and I'm just you know uh, loving it because of uh, because of its just impact on my childhood I'd say it's a good one I would I would stop short of iconic because you know that I don't have nearly that level of attachment to it that you do um, and I, but it definitely is a very well done score. The songs are memorable and and, and pretty cool. Um, where you know Tina Turner does have a great voice, and definitely the the songs complemented it well. And yeah, mm. I have as much uh, tie to this film, to these films, as much as uh, uh, most people. Uh, maybe because I, I I always considered them like action uh, 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 movies. It's not that I didn't like them or 
or uh, didn't want to watch the, watch them in their entirety. I just never sat down and watched them back to back like that. And I'm glad that I did. Mm -hmm. um, because it gave me a little bit more of appreciation for what Mad Max was and is to the film community. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased uh, with what I've seen. It's just, there are some things that don't behold me to it. You know? mm -hmm. right. as, as much as, uh, as it would for some other people. Granted, it set the uh, the stonework for many apocalyptic movies to come. So, I have respect for that, at least. True. I don't think, did we mention that many consider Mad Max the first post-apocalyptic Yeah. So that's worth mentioning. I don't know. I, I consider the Ten Commandments the first post-apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. And I, I agree with Mo when he had said originally uh, that... Uh, you know, this one, I mean, the original Mad Max, a boy and his dog, uh, <coughs> different ones would definitely have kicked off that. And it seemed like it was just a, a post-apocalyptic craze uh, of the 80s and early 90s. Uh, you, you got most of the most major post-apocalyptic films happening between uh, the late 70s <laughs> And early 90s, uh, ending with the, of course, Terminator series. So, it's it's just a, an interesting thing. I, I mean, would <coughs> you have Terminator even without Mad Max? Uh, to originally back it up. That'll be an interesting theory. Yeah. I Hasn't Cameron cited Mad Max as an influence? I felt like there was one. I know he's seen it because I know he has talked about it in the past. Of course, Cameron has done that Piranha to the Spawning, which is his favorite. I like that movie. The framework for all sorts of films. It's a cool movie. Yeah. I like it too. <laughs> so, uh, with that being said, uh, we'll wrap up with uh, favorite scenes. Um, Jake, what is your favorite scene? The favorite scene in this one? Um, <coughs> it, it's kind of hard to say, but. Maybe that scene with that dude trying to disarm the car. I mean, that really was amusing to me. The scene where Max is offloading all his weapons, that really amused me. Um, driving the cow car. Um, <laughs> those all probably would be ones that amused me a lot. And I did like the telling of the tale. I thought that was a very interesting thing that they, that they did there. Um, so I'm not sure I have a single favorite, but those were all pretty fun bits. Okay. Uh, I guess um, one of my uh, favorites is, is the ending uh, where, where T Tina Turner 
Uh, it says we are a pair, aren't we, Mr. Raggedy Man? Mm. And, uh, I also get a, I get a kick out of the, uh, the fight scenes in the, uh, uh, in the Thunderdome. And I guess I get a kick out of the, uh, out of the, uh, out of Screw Loose. Hmm. Alright. Uh, Dustin? So, it's more of a smaller moment, uh, but near the end, when they're running through, like, the pilot's bunker, or whatever that thing is, and his kid's trying to wake him up, it's like, you know, they're coming, we gotta go, get the plane ready, and he's like, what, what's going on, and all of a sudden, like, Max and, like, all these kids are, like, in his room, and Max is like, you! He's like, wait, what? That's... <laughs> I, I, I laughed kind of hard at that. <laughs> this is a comfortable game. little cave up there. Yeah, they had a lot of supplies and all kinds of stuff. It was he was just sitting in bed reading. It was just kind of nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, my favorite, of course, is I just love the announcer part where he starts telling the history of Thunderdome and all that. I remember as a child when HBO was running the film for the first time, they actually played the clip where he's saying. The man with no name as the introduction to Max. <laughs> and it was just a, a really just cool, epic introduction to the big fight that was going on. It kind of ramped you up for the uh, potential slaughter to come. Yeah, I, to me, uh, when, when you said the man with no name, that to me was like a total disrespect to him. Because the, uh, then now the people on the outside don't really know who he is, you know, uh, if he dies. <laughs> well, as, as he goes, he really introduces himself to anybody else. He doesn't want people to know who he is. <laughs> but um, with that being said, any final thoughts before we go into our um, breakdown? Mm. Oh, uh, even though I didn't really have a whole lot to say on this one, you know, it's still a pretty awesome movie, and I'm happy I revisited it. I think I should probably do so again when uh, maybe we're in a better state of mind. Uh, you know, current events have been pretty rough on uh, everybody, but, you know, we're gonna keep broadcasting and being on the air for as long as this goes. <laughs> so, uh, oh, fuck yeah. on, gang. We're going to outlive the so many movies to watch. Yeah, actually, now more than ever, it's a good time to watch movies. Yeah, right. Invisible Man on VOD Friday. Exactly. Oh, that, that movie about the hunt, uh, that one looks interesting. Oh, yeah, that too. Well, the hunt's supposed to be pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm all excited about this Invisible Man, but, yeah. Well, why don't we actually have you lead us off, Dustin? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm a horror collector here in Milwaukee while I go to, while I go to school, although uh, I'm not sure what's going on with that now. Uh, I think got canceled. Um, and we have several extra weeks of spring break. Uh, anyway, but uh, so I have a YouTube channel called The Crypt of Horrors where I show off uh, the wide variety of stuff that I pick up um, in the before time, the long, long ago. And I also do reviews occasionally on that channel, so you can find it here on YouTube at The Crypt of Horrors. 
I also have an Instagram for my collection, The Crypto Horrors. And, uh, my Twitter is sorta in limbo, but a fan did make a page, did make an account for me, uh, what did, what did he call it? Uh, Dura Cryptaxis, which I guess Cryptaxis is gonna become, become my name. <laughs> so it's kind of a call to, like, German movie posters, like, Der Blob instead of The Blob. Apparently some other jerk, like, claimed Cryptaxis, like, what the f- Ugh. It's annoying. It's real annoying. But anyway, yeah, we're not- We're not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jake, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I'm kind of busy Jake. I'm a, uh, a movie, television, anime, what have you, collector here in Central Virginia. I am uh, also on the, or I am uh, part of the channel, Septum Sane vs. The World, uh, where we, in the last couple of weeks, have put out two pretty big videos that are a lot of fun. One where we discuss the films of 2019, and one where we started our analysis slash tribute to NIS America. A wonderful anime company, or anime branch of a game software company that uh, mysteriously has stopped putting out new releases, but we love what we have already. Um, in the meantime, I am also going to be watching a lot more of that because of uh, being momentarily sequestered at home for the who knows how long future and um, definitely hoping for a uh, quick and positive resolution to this whole thing. <laughs> but definitely yeah. looking forward to some viewing and reading in the meantime, and hopefully writing as well. <laughs> well maybe now you can do some nature stuff. Well, limitedly, yes. But I'm probably not even going to be outside much for the next few days. So, yeah. All righty. Uh, and uh, my name is David. Oh, go, go ahead, Septon. I was going to, yeah, before I give you to back your channel here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, first off, uh, Mo was uh, out. So, you know, of course, uh, go with uh, Drunken Master Studios and his channel. Uh, so you can check out a lot of his cool stuff. He does a lot of reviews and uh, retrospectives, so you should definitely check it out, especially his Lone Wolf and Cub series that he is uh, doing right now, which is quite cool. I'm sure he would want that plugged if he was still with us right now. Uh, of course, uh, I'm Septim Sen of Septim Sen vs. the World. Uh, we cover uh, the physical media and the love of physical media. But that's not all. Of course, Jake has uh, covered most of what we were going to cover anyway. But uh, we also uh, work with Inside Movies Galore, where I help run the scheduling. And because of that, next week's movie is going to be the, uh, well, both versions of Little Shop of Horrors. If you want to go with the pre-show, there will be the original Little Shop of Horrors, which has Jack Nicholson involved in one of his early roles. 
of course, the main event will be Little Shop of Horrors, the musical, with Rick Moranis and uh, all the fun crew therein. So definitely you want to stay tuned for that lovely event. We also have a theme for the month of April, which is going to be Ancient April, which will be uh, a lot of prehistoric fun, where we look at dinosaurs, cavemen, and all sorts of prehistoric hysteria. <laughs> Potentially <laughs> invading modern day. <laughs> so definitely uh, check us out, and we will see you at that time, and I will hand this back to Dave to uh, have us lead out. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is David Streggy, and uh, I'm one of the founding fathers of Inside Movies Galore, but I run it with most of you guys, and I appreciate it very much uh, going on the, uh, this journey of films uh, with me. Um, it, it's kind of like my therapy, and I think it's become kind of your guys' therapy, too. And uh, certainly, I uh, I certainly enjoy the avenues and and the, the places that we've gone. Uh, like, of, like while the coronavirus is going on, we are we are talking about Mad Max films, people. I mean that, that that's crazy. I know it's crazy, but really <laughs> like so. But um, I also uh, moonlight at. Uh, my own channel uh, from time to time. Lately, I haven't because I've been sick. But um, um, I call it delusions of grandeur, and uh, I do my own video pickup uh, uh, and uh, my own video reviews on uh, uh, film. So definitely check some of that out. I have quite a few things out there for you to view, regardless. But uh, I plan on starting that up shortly once I get the rest of my bins back in my room and my room back in order and voila it will be it will be written it will be done so um, hopefully you have enjoyed our Mad Max journey it was a long journey but we have finally ended it uh, and we revisit it in the future you never know so um, but thank you for listening. Have a great day, evening, and morning, wherever you are. And uh, definitely think of how, how you uh, would interpret these films. Uh, and let us know down in the comments what what you may have thought of them while you were watching them. I, for one, look at them a little differently uh, now that I've seen them back to back and in their entirety. What about you? In any case... Enjoy your evening, and stay safe. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I thank you.